Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series entitled, Abraham, the Father of Our Faith. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged in, visit the website, cbcsavannah.com. Father, you're good. Your son is alive. We pray to him. We believe in him because he is alive, that he is seated at your right hand right now watching. Lord, may this be a pleasing just worship service. We've worshiped through song. Now we're going to worship through the word of God. And then we'll worship through song again. And then we'll worship with our lives as we leave. And so, Lord, just may it be a pleasing aroma um, so that you are glorified out after uh, the preaching of your word, may there be people who are encouraged, equipped for every good work. Father, I, I beg of you that you would just use me a wandering sheep to feed your sheep. Just the irony there is just, it's huge that you would call me someone who is broken and sinful and wretched to feed your precious sheep whom you love, whom you poured your blood out for. It's just, I, I cannot handle the weight of that on my own. And so I ask that you, Spirit, would fill me and that you would fill this room and that you would just fall in such a way that only you can do what you do. You would bring life change. I can't bring any life change. I can't do anything apart from you. Apart from you, I can do nothing, Lord. And I acknowledge it before all these people so that they in no way say, Bill did something. So they, they say, Christ did something. Christ is building upon the foundation of himself, his church. And so do that, Lord Jesus, for your sake, for your glory, for your name. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. If you could find one. We're good, right? Just a reminder to wake up early. That's, a, that's what the reminder is here, right? Um, there's no surprise for those who know me, especially my family. Um, I, I don't like the wait. Whether it's traffic and driving through South Carolina, who has the worst drivers in America, right? I-95, I-26, the worst road in America, in South Carolina. Um, or whether it's just waiting for the kids, the four kids to get ready and waiting in the car and when, ready to go somewhere. I don't like to wait. I, I don't like to wait so much. When I got to go to the doctor or have an appointment of some kind, I always get the first appointment of the day. I don't care if it's four in the morning. I'm taking it. Because I don't want to sit in the waiting room, right? And so if I'm first, I figure they're going to be on time at least at four in the morning. And so that's what I do. And lest you think, man, who is this pagan, impatient guy preaching to us this morning? You are the same way as me. You're just as impatient. You don't like the wait either. Right? So what, some of you are going to go to the grocery store this afternoon. You're going to be walking around and you're going to look and you're going to look at the aisles. And you're going to think... Which one's the shortest? Because that lady looks like she's going to write a check, and I ain't waiting for that. <laughs> and some of you are going to sit at the elevator, and you're going to push the button once, and then nothing's going to happen, and it's lit up, and you're thinking that as more I push it, the faster it comes down. Does that really work? No, it does not work. And you're going to be in a parking lot, and you're going to say, oh, somebody's about to pull out. I saw them get in their car. And you can sit there and wait for them, and then you're going to start getting mad because they're just sitting there, and then the reverse lights go on. You're like, how could it take so long for you to back up? Because you don't like to wait. So you are just as sinful as I am. We don't like to wait, right? We don't, we don't like to wait. 
Some of you are already thinking, first time here, you're like, how long does this guy preach? Long. <laughs> it's long today, boys and girls. Right? But here's the problem. Most of the Christian life is waiting. Most of your spiritual journey is waiting. It is. It's, it, you're sitting in the spiritual waiting room, waiting on the promises of God. Even Jesus, he, how many times does he say things like, watch, look, be ready, pray, wait. And, and it's open-ended. It's an open-ended deal. And we're fine with it. Wait until next Friday. Wait until December of 2017, next Star Wars. Okay, all right, I can wait. Wait until I'm 15 to get my permit. Wait until 8 o'clock tonight. When there's a set time, we're okay. But when it's open-ended, when it's just wait, when Jesus tells the apostles, go, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit. Okay, what does that mean? I don't, what does that even look like? I don't know. That's hard. When he says, I'm coming soon. Be ready. Great. Soon has been 2,000 years. That's a lot of waiting. When he says, I'm going to provide for you. You're like, great, how? I'm going to. When? I will. There's something exhausting about that, isn't it? When you're sitting in the waiting room, it's just frustrating. But it's not just us. It's also some of our spiritual heroes, those in the scripture. And what we're going to see today is that Abraham and Sarai, or Sarah, they're in the waiting room. And they're going to blow that thing up. And I'm glad they do. This is the beauty of scripture. This is one of the proofs of the veracity, the authority, the truth of scripture. That the heroes of the faith are morons. So we can learn and say, ah, okay, this is what not to do in the waiting room. So what we're going to look at is we're going to look at them in the waiting room, how they blew it up, so that we can learn from being in the waiting room. Not how to get out of it, because you can't get out of it, but how to live in it and live well in it. That's what we're going to look at today. And really, here's where we're going. We're going to see the mistake that they made in the waiting room. We're going to see the result of that mistake, and then we're going to close with just a couple encouraging points for you as you sit, as you wait, whatever that looks like for your life. All right, so that's where we're going. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you. It's on page 11 in that Bible. I don't know what page it is in your Bible, but it's probably close to 11 because it's in the beginning. Um, it'll be on the screen for those who have babies in laps and don't want to you know, open up or if your phone's slow or whatever. But I'm going to read through the text. And, and how many of you read ahead this week? Anybody read ahead? Good. Some of you got the bookmarks in the back. You know what's coming. How many of you read ahead and this was like the first time you read that and you're like, whoa, that is a messed up story. Okay, some of you have never heard this story before. It is right off of the Lifetime channel. And this is not a Hallmark movie, all right, because those are always sweet and everyone knows. This is Lifetime TV. Okay, this, that's what this is. It's like a, this is, this is back in my generation, this is Melrose Place. Okay, that's what this is. All right, so you, some of you are like, Melrose Place, okay, you're too young. You know, this probably on something. Don't go watch it because it's trash. But that was what I watched in my all-male college of the Citadel. We watched Melrose. I don't know why. All right, but this is right out of Melrose, okay? You're gonna re- so I'm going to read through it, and we'll just kind of unpack it. All right, so let me start in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. 
It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me and you. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. And the angel of the Lord found her by a spring in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said, return to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man with his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahairoi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar had born Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So we start in verse 1. Sarai, Abram's wife, had bore him no children. They are in the waiting room, right? She is 75 years old. She wants a baby, which is a little bit weird because most 75-year-old women do not want babies, all right? But she has never had a child. And you got to remember, okay, for her, in that culture especially, children were everything. And so she grows up and she's a little teenager and she's dreaming of the day when she becomes a mama. And so finally she gets married to this guy named Abram. And so they're expecting kids. And month after month, she just kind of, okay, maybe this is the month when I get pregnant. Maybe this is the month I become a mom. Maybe this is the month. And the months turn into years. And the years turn into decades. And there's nothing. And then finally she gets to a point in her life where it's just not physically possible to have kids. It's just, it's just beyond that. And, and there was probably, even though there's, there's sadness there, a sense of just peace that she doesn't have to wonder anymore. It's just done. It's out of my mind. I'm too old. Fine. And then what happens? God shows up when she's 65 years old and he reawakens that wound and gives her a new hope. You're going to have a kid. And so there it is again, month after month. Okay, is it this month? Is it this month? Is it this month? Is it this month? And it's been 10 years since that point. 10 years of like, okay, a renewed hope. I'm just getting older. How is this even possible? And she is sitting in the waiting room. That's where she is, right? And, And I think that's where we live so often, isn't it? I mean, you're wondering how much longer do I have to watch my mama struggle with Alzheimer's? How long? How long do I have to pray for that kid who, who's wandering that he would come home? How long do I have to deal with this depression, this loneliness, this sickness that came out of nowhere, this, this loss from 10 years ago that I still wake up crying every night? Or what, how long do I have? I'm working two jobs, I'm busting my tail, I'm barely getting by. How long, Lord, until you get me a new job? 
or I'm a college student, I've sent out a bazillion applications, how long before you just get me a job? All right, how long until uh, I, we can get out of debt? I got this legal issue going on over here and the government is, is shafting me or this company is suing me and we're completely, it's unjust and Lord, when are you gonna do something? How long? And what makes it worse it's when you feel like you're praying and you're wondering and you're waiting and like God, the phone is off the hook. You just get the busy signal. That's the worst. It's the waiting room. And we, we're there all the time. Hey, and we're not the only ones. David's there, Psalm 13. Some of you know this psalm. He says, how long, O Lord? Go to this slide if you got it to me there. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever? God, you forgot me? I'm the guy you made king? I'm the one to man after your own heart. You remember me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted me? Lord, how long? David's been in the waiting room. Sarai and Abram are in the waiting room. Some of us in the waiting room. And so what Sarai does is she, she like all of us, she gets frustrated, she gets uh, impatient, and she cooks up a scheme so that she can get out. And here it is, verse two. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. When did she get this girl? Remember when they went down in rebellion to Egypt, right? And, and Abraham sells her, his wife out. This is where this lady comes from. But she, he's a servant named Hagar. Sarai says to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant that, it, that, I, may, that I shall obtain children by her. In essence, hey, marry her. She's young. I'm old. Now, as crazy as that sounds, and look, it sounds crazy. And as dumb as it sounds, and it is dumb, it was a culturally acceptable thing in this time. Because since Hagar belongs to them, any child that would be born to Hagar technically belongs to them. So this is a way, if they can't have kids, they can kind of have kids. Doesn't make it right, doesn't make it good. This is a plan that is born out of frustration and impatience and anger. Look what she says. She says, the Lord has prevented me. Who's she mad at? She's mad at God. This is God's fault. He's keeping me from having kids. God showed up. Remember Abram 10 years ago? He said, baby. Where's the baby? I don't see no baby. You see a baby? God gets a big F for baby. And since God's getting an F, I have this resource over here. I have this girl. She's got a womb. I'm going to use her. She's mine. She's my resource. I'm going to use her to get what I want. That's what she's doing. And the plan, there's all sorts of brokenness in the plan. It's based on human reason, right? Well, everyone does it. This is the common practice, right? Everyone does it. It must be right. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. I can go home and drink out of the toilet like Milton the dog. Doesn't mean it's smart. He also runs into cars. Is that, it's brilliant. This is my dumb dog, right? Just because I can do it doesn't mean I should. Human reason is not to be despised, but when it trumps faith, it's to be rejected. It's based on expediency. I want it now. I don't want to wait. I want fast food. I want this. I want that. I want it now. And so she's sick of waiting. Everyone else is doing it. And so she steps out Instead of letting her faith overturn the questions of her heart, she lets her questions overturn her faith. And she makes a big mistake. And here's the mistake. She tries to play God. 
Same thing we do. Don't try to play God. Don't go and try to get ahead of God and do what only he can do. I mean, she thinks that she can bring about all these promises. She thinks she can do what only God can do. You gonna make this guy a great nation? You gonna give him as many descendants as the, as the sea and, and as the stars? You can do that, Sarai? You can't even have your own. I mean, it's just, it's irrational. But she's, she's tired and she's exhausted and she's upset. So she figures, well, God, you're not getting the ball rolling, so I will. And look, here's the thing. God doesn't need you to play God. In fact, Acts 17 says, God is not a God who is served with human hands. What are you going to do? You, can you really do anything apart from him? This is a God thing. Only God can do it. And, and here's just a couple quick lessons. Number one is that God's timeline is always slower than ours. It just is. We like a microwave. God's plan is a crock pot. But which is better? I mean, you, you, can, you cook some chili in a crock pot and you start that baby at 6 a.m. and you just let it simmer and cook all day. What's better, that or getting you a can of MSG, whatever, and throw it in the microwave and eating it in, in 90 seconds? Which one tastes better? This one's easier. This one's delicious. This is God's plan. He's a crock pot. And, and what we need to understand is when you are in the waiting room, that doesn't mean everything is broken. It feels like everything's broken, but it doesn't mean that everything is broken. It's just crockpot time. God's wanting you to simmer in that Tabasco and those onions, right? That's what he wants. I went to the doctor about, about three months ago for the, you know, my annual deal. So I show up at like four in the morning because I got the first appointment because I always get the first appointment. And, and so they take blood and I go out and sit in the lobby and I'm waiting there and I'm working. It's like 30 minutes later. I'm like, what in the world? I mean, how can you be 30 minutes behind? It's four in the morning. I mean, how can you already be behind? This is ridiculous. These guys go to school for like 40 years. How do they get behind? So really, just wait, doctors, don't get mad at me. The illustration continues. And so I go up after 30 minutes and I'm like, um, hey, you know, my name is Bill Fowler. I had a, you know, this time appointment. Is the, doc, is the doctor going to see me? And so, oh, sorry, Mr. Fowler. Well, you're only here to give blood today. Your appointment is next week. I'm like, oh, because I've been sitting out here cussing y'all's name for the last 30 minutes, <laughs> thinking, don't they know who, what's going on? I'm here early, and I'm all mad, and I'm all mad for no reason because I, I'm the one that's upset, and I'm all miserable because I think they ought to be doing this, and I don't they know my time is valuable. Some of you and some of us are so miserable to be around, you know, why? Because you, every time, you know, kind of God puts on the brakes or slows you down, you feel like you're getting the shaft and this is not fair and blah, 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 and God ought to be, if I was in charge of this, God may not be doing that. Your appointment may be next week. He might be doing this right now and y'all just need to chill and he wants you to simmer in the Tabasco for a while and soften you up. Makes you spicy, right? But, but some of you are just, you're so impatient and me too. And God is always doing something. In fact, Piper, I don't know the exact quote, says he's always doing a thousand somethings and we don't even know one of them. But he is always, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared when? Beforehand, Ephesians 2.10, that you may walk in them. 
God is preparing good deeds before you were even there. So why are you trying to get ahead of him? Because this is what we do. We try to get ahead of him and do our little deal. And we say, oh God, can you bless that mess? That 90 second can of chili and make it taste good? No. We wait. We let him go ahead of us. We don't try to play God. And we do it all the time. Let me give you just some examples of what it looks like. Because you're thinking, oh, I'm never going to go try to have a kid with someone else's wife. Okay, good. (laughs) He'll save us some counseling, all right? But here's what we do. Young gal, 25, dating a guy, wants him to commit, wants the ring, wants to try to get him to do so. And so, well, maybe if I, maybe if we go a little further than we should, maybe we compromise physically, then I'll get old boy to commit. So I'll do that. I can tell you what happens with that. He don't commit. I promise you, I've seen it a thousand times. Or it's, it's, well, I want to date them, and I know they're not a Christian, but here's what I'll do. I'll, is I'll date them. I'll do the little missionary dating thing. You know how it works. And then we'll get married, and then I'll bring him to CBC, and Bill will yell at him for a while, and he'll become a Christian. That's, that's, that's what we'll do. No, that's not how it works. Or it's, it's, well, we can't afford this right now because we have this debt, and we have this debt, and we have this debt, but I, oh, I really want that. So I know what I can do. I'm going to be patriotic, and I'm going to pull out my American Express card. (laughs) Now I'm patriotic, and I have what I want. We just create a mess, right? We, we, that person, I want to change that person, this, this spouse, this kid. So I'm going to put a book on his nightstand and how to stop being a knucklehead every time. And he goes, every time he goes to the bathroom, how to be a, be a knucklehead. And he gets in the car and how to not be a knucklehead. And I'm sending him emails and I'm trying to change him or I'm trying to make this guy the man of my dreams. As if you can change anybody. I mean, you can water, you can sow, but who brings the growth? God brings the growth. We, in our evangelism, I'm going to win that person to Jesus. I'm going to share them. I'm going to have all the answers. I'm going to walk them through those spiritual laws. I'm going to do all these things. You really think that you can make a dead man live? I'm not saying you don't pray. I'm not saying you don't share. But you don't have the power to change a soul, right? Or here's, here's the biggest area we do it in, our kids, uh, and those who are parents, this is us, and those who are future, you can learn. We treat our kids, we made our kids in this country idols. They are our idols. And so what do we do? We try to control every facet of their life. We try to sell, this is where you're going to be when you're 29 years old. And this is where you're going to do this. Why? Because we want ourselves to look good. So we control every facet of their lives. We never let them fail. We never let them fall. We give them everything they want. We tell them how precious and special and great they are. We give them a participation trophy. Set them up for entitlement. You knew that was coming, right? Set them up for a life of entitlement, and they never fear the weight of their decisions. They never know what it is to make a mistake. They never know what it is to carry just a burden of, oh, if I do this, this is this, because we save and run rescue from anything. And so they never see the true true nature of their soul. They 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 don't have a savior. Their savior is daddy. They don't see Jesus as savior because you've saved them from everything, and they don't know. They're 22, and all they know how to do is play Halo. And he drink lattes, right? And, and we try to control everything. We try to, oh, we're going to make you this. And then we even try to drag him to church and throw him into youth group and say, this will fix you. This will work. Send him to Lavo. 
and, and it's the same thing. It's trying to control, it's trying to do this, but only God can do. Not, I know we pray and we, we teach and we train and we disciple, but God brings it. You can't control it, right? It, it's getting ahead. It's, it's trying to play God, right? Just a couple of passages for you, just to kind of maybe go through this week, maybe read them, maybe meditate on them. Here's one out of Isaiah, famous passage. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. He's not tired of being in a waiting room. He's not tired of it. His understanding is unsearchable. He knows it. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall and be exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord, the ones who wait for the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not get faint. Strength comes from the waiters, right? Not the rusher-inners. Here's another one, Psalm 46, famous verse. Be still and know that I am God. But we, don't, we don't often look at the next part, though. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted among the earth. God is going to do what brings God the most glory because that's what he does. And so we can rest and be still because we know that God is after his own glory. So he is going to do what brings him the most glory. And you can rest, Right? You can rest. Let me, let me give you, I, I was reading this week as I was studying, preparing for this message, came across in, in one of Chuck Swindoll's books, just a helpful acrostic, I think, for us. Because we said, you know, we know what not to do. We know not to try to play God. Let, let me just give you a couple things for how to wait well. And the acrostic is very simple. It's wait, real easy. Four things, all right? First one is W, walk slower. Slow down. Nothing good ever happens when you're in a rush. It just doesn't. No good decisions happen when you are in a rush. When you're so anxious, oh, I gotta, I gotta move, I gotta, get little, I gotta get out, I gotta get out. No, you, you don't. You need to spend some time. You need to soak in that Tabasco for a while. You need to, to mellow. You need to look. You need to think. You need to pray. Maybe fast. Walk slower. Because you're gonna make a dumb decision. Right? Let me, let me tell you what this looks like for us as a church. Just real practical how God is just being God and getting glory. So last year, about this time, we're not in this building yet. We're almost getting in. You know, we're getting excited. We're ready for four services to be done. And that building across the street, right back there, it's for sale for an exuberant amount of money that we would never pay in a million years, right? But we're like, man, we would love to have that because we would love to turn that into a neighborhood deal and CBC neighbors just kind of expand and do stuff every day. We can put the kids over there. We can do a lot with that building, but not at that price, right? So what we do is we kind of, we, we talk with them and they're way up here and, we're, and we finally come down to a price where we're all like, that's still high. In fact, all the elders got together and said, what do you think that's worth? And we all came up, yeah, right about there. And we were even over that. We're like, well, maybe, yeah, well, maybe. So we start pursuing that and all of a sudden we just all were like, nope, we're out. We, we, this is not good right now. Let's get out and let them do what they're gonna do because we have this to finish and all these things. So we get out and we say, sorry, we're not interested right now. And what do we do? We wait. We wait for a year until last week. We have another discussion with them and we, we haven't, you know, haven't signed on the dotted line yet, but now we have agreed to a price with that facility that is under what every single one of the elders thought it was even worth, even less why? Because we waited. And now we're going to have more space for our middle schoolers. Woo! So they're not crammed up outside my office and making a mess. 
have a place for the neighborhood to cook and do things again as long as God allows us to continue. Why? Because we just slowed down. We could have paid cash back then. We could have done it. But we waited. Felt like God was saying, slow down. So we did. And maybe God's going to open this door over here. You don't know. But just walk a little slower. A, ask. Ask God for patience. Ask God for self-control. Ask God for discernment, for wisdom. Let him who asks, ask God wisdom. He gives generously without reproach to those who believe. Ask in faith. Ask. Right? And, and cry out to him. Tell him what you're thinking. Cast your anxieties on him. He, can, he got big shoulders. He can tell when, you can tell him you're mad. Doesn't David sound mad? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? That's pretty bold. You wrote it down in the Bible, right? If it's in the Bible, God can handle it. How long, O oh Lord, will you ignore me? He can handle that. In fact, he knows you're going to say it before you say it. He already knows you're thinking it, so you might as well tell him. But the point is, cast your anxieties. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares. Because he's good. So ask, ask him. Ask other people. Talk to people who know what it's like to sit in that waiting room. They got wandering kids. They've had cancer. They, they've had financial struggles. And, and if, let me just tell you, if you're thinking, oh, I want to move, I want to do this. If you've got 20 people or four people or two people that you trust that are saying, whoa, 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 I would slow down on that. Don't blow through that stop sign because you're headed to chaos. You're headed to Hagarville, right? And it's a mess. Ask and listen to people you trust and invite them to tell you that's what community is for. Wait, ask, imagine. And what I mean by this is imagine what's the worst case scenario for you if you get stuck in the waiting room for a little longer. What's the worst that can happen? The status quo, okay? Yeah, that's a pain. But if that's the worst, it's not so bad. Right? What's the worst case if you make a poor decision? What's the worst case if you blow it up, Hagar? Right? And so, again, slow down. Maybe God will open the door that you can not spend as much money as you thought. Right? And the final one is, is think. Think about if I do something silly, what are the implications for my wife, for my husband, for my future wife, for my future, well, my kids? What if we just up and go and I'm, I'm anxious, I want to get out and move? What does that do for my son? who's going into eighth grade? What does that do for my wife who just started having community? What does that do for, I'm moving to a place where there's not a church is like CBC where I've been growing. I don't have a community. You just gotta think through all those things. You gotta ask, what is the implications? Because it always impacts those closest to you. And I'm not saying we don't do things, but I'm just saying think when you're in the waiting room. What happens if I do X, Y, you know? Okay, let, let's let God write the story, not us. Let's let God prepare works beforehand, not us. Let's not play God because you make a lousy God. Lousy, right? But he makes a great one. And if you, if, if you blow off him, here's the result. The mistake is playing God. You know what the result is? Chaos. It's chaos. And if you want to... I mean, I'll just highlight it real quick here with their, with their life. Verse four, and so Abram listens to his wife. He goes into Hagar, she conceived. As soon as she saw that she conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. So you got this long, pretty thing from Egypt. You got Hagar, I mean, you got Sarah is a hottie at 75, but she ain't a 25-year-old. 
And so now you have this 25-year-old walking around like, uh-huh, you couldn't do that. Want to feel the baby kick, old Sarai? I'm going to replace my mistress. Aha, uh-huh, look at me. She thinks he's all big stuff now. And she looks with contempt on Sarai. The word for contempt is she despises her. And so that just brings tension into that house, right? It brings tension. What does it do to our marriage? What do you think? Verse 5, and Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked at me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me and you. You know what she's saying? She's saying, this is all your fault. And I say, things ain't changed in 4,000 years, have they? (laughs) Okay, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. There's, you got a woman who told him to do something. You got a guy that did it. And he's standing there like, what? I just did what you said. And he's like, your fault. Anyone been there? <laughs> now, Abram's a moron for listening. But notice where she is. He's at fault too. But she is blaming him. And, and she, in the process of blaming, she's even just, she's, she's setting herself up. Look what she says. She says, I gave my servant to you. So why are you blaming him? You gave it? This was your idea? Right? I, it's, it's one of those things when you, when, you, when you blow up, when you do your own thing, you're blinded to your own, your own deal. She's blaming the guy, and it's, and it's partly her. Right? Her marriage is, she's invited another woman into her house. Chaos. And far beyond that, yes, there's chaos with her servant now. That's just chaos in her marriage. Even beyond that, do you realize the implications here? This decision is on your television set every day. Do you realize that? Because this child, his name is Ishmael. He is the father of the Arabs. And so he's born, and then 13 years later, the father of the Jews, ultimately, he is born. And, and it's, they are going to be fighting from that point. Are they still fighting? Every day. The Islamic nation comes from this decision, right? It's far-reaching. She can't fathom the implications of trying to play God. But that's the implications. That's chaos. And really, and this is another sermon for another day, but I'll just touch on it. What they've done is they have, they have just followed right after Genesis 3. This is a replay of Eden. I don't know if you picked that up. I mean, the original audience, they would have picked it up because it's the same book, it's the same author, it's the same language, where it says that Abram listened to his wife. And they're immediately going to go to Genesis 3 where God said to Adam, because you listened to your wife. Right? And it's not that you shouldn't listen to your wife, man. Please don't go home and say, ha, ha, said, so hush. That's not what I'm saying. All right? What happened in Genesis 3? God says, one thing don't do. Don't eat the fruit. Eve is tempted by the serpent who says, God doesn't want your best. Who said, God doesn't care about you. He's keeping something from you. And so she looks at at the fruit and she hears the snake and says, hey, honey, this looks like a good idea. And so she stops trusting God. She trusts the snake and she gives to her husband who is with her and he listens to her. Same thing here. Here's Sarah struggling Right? She's tempted to do this silly thing instead of stepping in and Abram saying, whoa, whoa, God just gave me a promise in chapter 15. It's like Adam should have stepped in and said, whoa, why are we listening to a snake? Really? 
right? Why are we listening? Abram should have said, why are we? No, 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 we're not going to do this. But instead, he abdicates his role as head of his house and he listens to her blow up. And this is what happens when men are passive. This is what happens. When men are passive, right? And I got a whole sermon on it. Ephesians 5, you can go back online. I don't have time to deal with it. But this is on Abram ultimately. You think, well, it was Sarah's idea. He should have stood up and said, no. No, that's dumb. It's on him, right? Just like the garden was on Adam. Eve ate first, but when God comes looking, he says, where are you, Adam? He didn't say, where's Eve? He says, Adam, where are you at? It's passive, right? Another sermon, another day. But are you, will you want chaos? Walk by sight and not by faith. Do your own thing. Don't follow God's. That invites chaos. And that's exactly what happens here, right? And so the mistake is they try to play God. The result is chaos. Let's talk about the encouragement real quick. Let's land here because this is where God shows up. And this is where God is is just showing himself to be good. And it's the beauty of the passage. Verse 6. Oh, this is another thing, by the way. Abraham's such a good dude. He says, oh, you deal with her. Yeah, I got her pregnant. You can deal with it, whatever. He's dissing his new wife. She's legally his wife. He's a great dude, huh? Right, you deal with her, right? Verse six. But verse seven says, the angel of the Lord found her. She runs away. She's by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? He said, I'm running. I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. Angel of the Lord said, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. He says, go back, I'm going to bless you. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael. Shema, the Hebrew word for hear. El, one of the Hebrew words for God, Elohim, El, Yan. So the God who hears. Name him the God who hears. Why? Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. This is not an insult. There's not saying he's a donkey. He's saying he's going to be like this wandering guy, this strong, you know, free will, free spirited guy who wanders to the wilderness. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He, he's going to be a warrior. There's going to be a lot of fighting. Is that true in the, in the Arab world to this day? Yeah, there's a lot of fighting. Right? Is there a lot of Bedouins? Is there a lot of just guys wandering? Yeah, it's the nature of, of where they've been for, for 4,000 years. This is prophesied in God's word. Right? And he shall dwell over and against his kingdom. He's going to be a powerful man. He's going to be the father of his, own, of his own deal. And look at her response, verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. She calls him El-Ra, God who sees. For she said, today, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. And, and, and here's where I want to go with this. God, two, two real encouragements from this kind of last big deal. Four times it mentions the fact that the angel of the Lord, it, it, it highlights it, it's almost redundant. The angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord. When you study the Old Testament and you see this angel of the Lord character show up, all right, this is what theologians call a theophany. It is an appearance of God in the Old Testament. 
And if you really kind of do your Trinitarianism, if God the Holy Spirit is spirit and cannot be seen, and God the Father is spirit who cannot be seen, then who is the angel of the Lord really? The angel of the Lord is a pre-Bethlehem Jesus who existed in all eternity past, but took on humanity at Bethlehem. But he's always existed. This is Jesus in the Old Testament showing up. Okay, that's who it is. He speaks as God. He's often worshipped as God, whether it's in the the fiery, the burning uh, plant with Moses, or if it's Gideon and and in Judges 6, he shows up and he is worshipped. He shows up and speaks as God. This God shows up for who? A nobody. Some servant who's been rejected, who's blown her life up, who's wandering around the wilderness. She's a nobody. No one cares about her. No one's looking for her. No one loves her. And who notices her? God himself. And God himself shows up. Right? I mean, and the original audience, this would have been hugely ironic. Because think about this now. The original audience were Hebrew slaves who were mistreated by Egyptians and who were wandering around the wilderness. What do we have here? We have an Egyptian slave who was mistreated by Hebrews, who was wandering around the wilderness. And so they're going to say, if God cares about one just slave in the wilderness who's been mistreated, so one Egyptian girl who got herself in trouble, if God cares about her, surely God cares about us. Surely God knows our needs, right? And, and he, the, the big picture here is this is that God is a God who hears and he's a God who sees. I see encouragement from, the, from this text. Is maybe you are Hagar and you feel rejected and maybe you're living a life of isolation and maybe you feel like no one cares and you're running in the wilderness and you're in a bad way. Here's the, here's the message from this text is that God sees you and God hears you. And maybe you're like Sarai and you've gotten ahead of God and you've blown your deal up and it's a mess. And you're thinking, man, I can't, I can't ever unscramble these eggs. What you need to hear is that God sees you and God hears you. Right? You need to know that this morning. You need to know that you may feel like the phone is off the hook. And you may feel like you're sitting in the waiting room and it's broken. Maybe you've been in a dead marriage for years Maybe you've been taking care of this special needs child for 25 years and you are just, you're tired. You're like, does anyone even know? Maybe you, you had this car accident 12 years ago and you still can't sleep unless you're using my pillow. Which somebody in first service told me my pillow works and so I'm glad. But where, I don't know where you've been waiting. I don't know where you've been wandering, right? But, but God knows. God knows. Maybe years of praying for your mom. Years, and she's still not a Christian. Still not. God sees. God knows. And look, I don't know how it's going to end. I I don't know the whys. I don't know the hows. Look, sometimes God's people get healed from cancer. And sometimes God's people get healed from cancer by going home to be with him. That's the way it works. And I don't, I don't know the future. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know how the waiting room ends for you. But here's what I do know. When you get to heaven and you stand back and you, and you get to taste the crock pot, you get a little, a little sample of that, you're going to say, aha, I get it now. 
I didn't get it when I was there. It stunk when I was there, but I get it now. And you will consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that is revealed in us. That you will, as you share in the sufferings of Christ and as you rejoice in that, you, you will at the revelation of his glory rejoice with exaltation, according to Peter. Right? So some of you can rest this morning. In the waiting room. Because God sees. God knows. He saw Hagar. He saw Sarai. He saw Abraham. He sees you. That's the first thing. And here's a second reminder from this text. Encouragement. Is that our God is the God of the broken. He is not the God of the people who got it all together. He is the God of the people who broke the whole deal. And keep doing it. He is the God of the people who run ahead of him. And mess it up. And he comes in and fixes. That's who he is. My youngest son, Trip, for Christmas, Santa brought him an X-Wing Lego, which is like the perfect gift for any child, by the way. Because it's the second greatest spaceship next to the Millennium Falcon, the X-Wing fighter, right? Okay. So he's putting this puppy together, and he's, yeah, he loves it. He asked for this. He's got this thing going. But the only problem is, for, he, the, the, the S-foils... Which are the wings? That's a nerd. That's what the nerds know that. But the most the wings of this puppy won't stay in attack position, which is open. And if you've seen the movie, lock S foils in attack position. It's important if you're going to fight your brother's tie fighter to have the S foils in attack position. All right. And so they won't stay open. And he he and I said, well, what'd you do, buddy? I said, you follow the instructions? I don't know. Well, where are the instructions? They're upstairs under the bed somewhere. Well, then the S-foils are going to be closed and you're going to get destroyed by the TIE fighter. That's what's going to happen. All right? Sorry. But what does his brother do? His older brother comes alongside. All right? He says, where are the, where are the plans? They go, oh, I'm upstairs somewhere. They bring the plans out. He sits down with him, right? Which is, which is exactly what God does, right? He gets on our level. He incarnates himself. He leaves heaven. He becomes a man. He becomes flesh. He sits down. He pulls out the plans from somewhere because God always points us back to the plans and he rebuilds it together so that the S-foils now work in attack position and he can destroy the TIE fighter. I thought, isn't that kind of what God does though? Isn't he the God who always points us back to the plans, who sits down with us and, and pulls it apart and puts it back together so that it works? That's what God does. He's the God of the broken. And it's not because you deserve it. It's not because you're good. What you do is you build this monstrosity. And when it's not working, you figure, well, I'll try something else new. And you fail to go back to the plans. And so you just build this chaotic thing that doesn't, works even worse. And he always takes us back to the plans. And he always takes us back to his goodness. And he always takes us back to his word. Right? Because he's good. It's just who he is. And it's, and it's what we talked about week one in this series, six weeks ago. We said, I told you, there's three themes that we're going to see. We're going to see God's grace. Why does he do it? Because of his grace. I told you he does things because of his, he keeps his covenant. He keeps his word. Why does he do it to Abraham and Sarah and Hagar? Because he keeps his word. Right? It's the same theme. This is who God is. And what you're going to see starting next week and then the rest after Easter is that this little baby that was promised, he's coming. He's coming soon. Now, it's going to be 13 more years for Sarai and Abraham. They've only waited 10. They're not even halfway done waiting yet. 
But who's going to get the glory then when old girl's 90 having a kid? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Right? Who's going to get the glory then? Who's going to know who did it? But I can guarantee this. She's going she's to be in the waiting room a little bit better next time because she's learned. Right? But, but that's what God does. As he sends his son. He takes our sin on himself. Undeserving. He dies on a cross. He raises again. He robs the grave. So that you and I can be washed from our sins. So that you and I can be called children of God. So that you and I can be brought into his family. So we are taken from being outcasts to being his and changed. Right? That's what he does. That's what he said he was going to do 6,000 years ago. 2,000 years before Abraham, remember? One's coming who's going to crush the head of the serpent. Nothing for 2,000 years. Now it's through Abraham. Then what happens? 2,000 more years, Jesus shows up. Then now, 2,000 years later, we're still waiting for Jesus. In fact, if you look at the timeline, we are, Jesus is right in between us and Abraham. Do you know that? We're 2,000 years after. He's 2,000 years before. And we're still waiting. When's he coming? Soon. Be ready. Be waiting. Be praying. Be expectant. Just don't get ahead of him. Right? Don't get ahead of him. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to worship. Here's what I love. You know a great way to handle the waiting room is to worship. In fact, you know that you read the end of Psalm 13, the one where David says, where are you at? How long? How long, O Lord? You know what he says? Let me read it to you. I love it. I was reading it this week as I was studying for this. This is how he ends that psalm where he's kind of complaining to God. He ends by saying, because I have trusted in your steadfast love, my heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. Wait, I thought he abandoned you. Yeah, 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 but he saved me. I'm in the waiting room, but I, I know I am saved. And so I will sing and I will worship. This is your time for those of you in the waiting room to sing and to worship because there's nothing better for your soul than to worship when you're in the waiting room. And so we're gonna do it. We're gonna invite you to do it. If you need prayer, you need to talk to someone, we got some elders in the room. They'd love to grab you. Just come down front and we'll come up. But this is an opportunity for you to sing, for you to shout. When the grave is robbed, we shout. Because we're getting ready for Easter, y'all. And so just use this time to worship. Maybe to turn from your controlling your life. Maybe to own the fact that you're broken and you need God to kind of pick the pieces up. Maybe to go back to the manual. Right? Whatever, is, whatever response is, is kind of fitting for you, we just invite you to do that. Let me pray. You guys can stand and we'll sing. Jesus, you are good, you are gracious, you are patient when we are not. And we know, Lord, whom we've believed and we are convinced that you are able to guard what we have entrusted to you until that day. We know it. And so, Father, until that day, until you come, until, until the return of the, of the groom for this bride, may you find faith. May you find faith in this church and in others. Use us for your glory. Help, Lord, there's people that have been in the waiting room for a long time. They are struggling today. Please, by your spirit, comfort them, empower them to continue to wait, to be faithful until the end.